Well, today we come to the beauty of delight found in Psalm 37. It's a pew Bible, page 872, if you want to turn there. But as we uh, look at what David has to say, we're going to find that this is a wisdom psalm created to teach young people about righteousness, actually to teach everybody. Uniquely, this psalm contrasts itself from other psalms in that it is not addressing God. It is addressing people. It's teaching others the ways of God. So rather than speaking to God, it's speaking to others about God. And because it's a wisdom psalm, uniquely, this one has 20 proverbs that are assembled together like a giant acrostic to help people remember. Remember, it's a didactic psalm. David is hoping to help teach us something very important. We're just going to look at a portion of those proverbs today. But that key verse, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Verse 25 reminds us that David is writing this in the twilight of his life. He says in verse 25, I was young, but now I am old. So these words are spoken in response to all he has seen in life. Obviously, a perspective of great wisdom. And much like Psalm 1, it's a contrast of two different lifestyles, the wicked and the righteous. Uniquely, the word for wicked. What do you think of when you think of wicked? You got a person in mind? When you think of wicked, you're probably thinking of some debased heathen out there, but the word that is so oftentimes used defines somebody that claims to be among God's people, but lives in defiance or disobedience to God. So uniquely what he's saying is, these might be people all around you, people that are claiming to be God's people, but they really aren't. And David sees a pattern of their lives in contrast to his own life. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, we have recorded the words of Samuel in which he spoke to Saul. And Saul had destroyed his opportunity to continue as king. And so Samuel said to him, God has decided to replace you with a man after his own heart. In Acts 13, 22, the apostle Paul, a millennium later after David had died, would say the same thing. He would declare David as a man after God's own heart. So when David is speaking, he is speaking about someone who has spent his entire life seeking to delight himself in the Lord. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is a theme verse for me for 2023. Sometime in December, in the early part of January, I was just ruminating over a focus of my life and this verse just spoke to me. Delight yourself in the Lord. And I wasn't even thinking about the rest of it. Just to have sheer delight, to have satisfaction, complete satisfaction is what it means in the Lord and expect nothing in return. But uniquely, this verse does give you something in return. Something happens when you delight yourself in the Lord. Our desires begin to mirror our delight in Him it becomes reciprocal, that we delight ourselves in the Lord and the desires of our heart will cause us to delight ourselves in Him. So David, as he teaches about this, tries to set up kind of a pathway, and we're just going to look at a little bit of this today, a pathway down this way to delight. A couple different words, we're going to look at five of them, commit, trust, focus, wait, and give, and we're going to find those in verses 5 through 9 and uh, verse 21 and following. 
Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. He will do this. That verse was repeated every single day by David Livingston when he was working in Africa 150 plus years ago. He had gone there to minister to people in the name of Christ as a physician, as a missionary, as an ambassador. And as he faced the struggles of his day, you can only imagine living in the, the jungles of Africa and all of the dangers that were there. And day after day, he would say, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. What does commit mean? It means to have a decisive decision, no turning back. It almost sounds redundant to say a decisive decision, but how many times have we made a decision that wasn't really decisive? I've decided to do this until I've decided to do something else. But it's a decisive decision in which there is no turning back. We're reminded of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 62. And he said, no one is worthy of the kingdom of God if he puts his hand to the plow and then starts turning back. And now we're not in an agrarian culture, but have any of you ever farmed? Have you ever tried to plow? It's not very effective when you're trying to plow forward and you're looking back. I ran a fertilizer truck, chicken manure, when I was uh, in my last year of college in between being a summer missionary, and we had to figure out how to drive that truck straight through the field. I know what it is. If you look back in the rearview mirror, you get off track. And that's what it's talking about. It's a decision that keeps you on track. Trust is putting your entire trust, depend on God exclusively, because trust is fueled by commitment, and commitment is fueled by trust. I love the way it's defined in verse 34 in the New Living. Travel steadily along his path. It's keeping up day after day, event after event, struggle after struggle, steadily following the Lord. What David is saying is trust is more important than answers. We often hear people say, when I get to heaven, I got a list of questions for God. Any of you have a list? Well, what if God responds to our list like he did the religious leaders in Luke 20, verses 1 through 8? They demanded of him. Their question was, on whose authority are you doing all of these things? And Jesus replied, tell you what, I'll answer your question if you answer mine. He says, what about John's baptism? Was it of heaven or was it of men? They had to reconvene by themselves and they said, well, if we say it's heaven, he's going to ask us, why didn't we go by it? If we say it's by men, everybody believes that John's a prophet, they'll, they'll kill us. And so they come back and say, we don't know the answer. So Jesus says, okay, I won't give you my answer either. Another similar situation, because they realized they couldn't answer without losing, is found in Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine. The Sadducees came to Jesus with this ridiculous question about this woman and whose uh, wife she was going to be in the resurrection now that she had been married to seven of them. And Jesus said to them, you know what your problem is? What do you think he said their problem was? You don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. See, sometimes our questions are fueled by the simple fact that we don't know the scriptures and we don't know the power of God. I don't think any of us are going to stand in front of God in eternity and say, by the way, I'm going to pull out my phone and 
show you my list. I think at that point, we will be perfectly content to say, yes, sir. I love what Beth Moore says. There's so much controversy in the cancel culture out there. Let's not cancel everything that everyone says. Listen to what she says. I not only love God and trust him, I love trusting him. I not only love God and trust him, I love trusting him. So the question for us, do we, like David, love trusting him to exclusively depend upon him? It's nothing more than an illusion to believe that we can find security outside of God. And so David is saying, commit your way to him. Trust him. That's the pathway to delight. Look at verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. David is wrestling with an age-old question, a question that we see differently than he did. In the Old Testament, the conviction was, and you see this in the book of Job, that if there are problems in your life, it's because of sin in your life and God is against you. And so if you're a righteous person, you will never face challenges. But David looks back on his life and says, that's not exactly true. There's this thing called the character consequence principle in which by and large, if you live a godly character, you will face much better consequences than otherwise. And when he's talking about this, to be still before the Lord, it's to pause and to reflect and to think about the direction of your life. It is to have the long view. It's very easy to get discouraged when you see other people that maybe are outside of the faith and they're succeeding tremendously. And we say, what about me, God? I'm making all these sacrifices. Remember the disciples said, what about us? What's going to happen to us? And Jesus said, in due time, in due time, you will inherit much. I've run this before you, run it by you before, and some of you still scratch your head and don't believe me, but let's do it again. Would you rather have a penny doubled every day for 30 days or $1,000 today? Now, if you've heard this, you would say, well, I go with a penny, but some of you are like, well, that's crazy. I took the 1000 today because a penny doubled every day? It's the long view. Because if you think about a penny doubling every day, for 30 days, on day 10, you have $5. Man, I should have taken the 1000 bucks. And then day 20, you have $5,000. Well, it's sounding a little bit better. Day 30, you have over $5 million. And if you can talk that broker into one extra day for day 31, you'll get nearly $11 million. It's the long view. And sometimes we're looking at what is happening right now in the midst of our struggles. That's what David is saying. David had the long view. You think of all the years that he waited to be king after he had been anointed to be the king. And the king was trying to kill the next king. And he didn't know if he was ever going to be queen, king. That question itself about the money can cause us to fret. What does fret mean in the Hebrew? It means to heat up. It's a picture of water beginning to heat up on the stove. It's our worry that just begins to take on more and more life of its own. It's a picture of constant anxiety. 
The word fret is a conglomeration of anger, worry, jealousy, envy, resentment, and self-pity all rolled into one. And when we begin to fret, we are doing the favorite American pastime. How many of you love to fret? How many of you do fret? How many of you have fretted at one point in your life? (laughs) Fretting comes so natural for us, but what David is saying is, it's not helpful. Curious question. Do any of you try to trim your fingernails by sticking them down in the garbage disposal? <laughs> Some kids saying, hmm, I'll try that. Not very helpful, right? Same way with fretting. Fretting is about as helpful as trying to trim your fingernails in a garbage disposal. Don't do it. And David comes back and he repeats the same thing in verse 8. He says, refrain from anger, turn from wrath, and do not fret. It only leads to evil. Classic example of that is Peter. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when everybody came to to capture Jesus and you had the servant of of the high priest named Malchus and, and Peter pulls out a sword and he cuts off his ear. That's what fretting does. It leaves a mess for Jesus to clean up. And that's what Jesus did. Picked up the ear, put it back on his head. Peter put the sword up. That's what fretting does. It creates messes for God to clean up. Refrain from anger. What he's talking about is when, you, when you're envious of, of, of wicked people that seem to be prospering more than you are, don't get angry about that. Don't get vengeful about that. Don't try to take them out to make you look better. Walking the path of delight. Commit, trust, focus, wait. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. It's a matter of waiting. Uniquely, Jesus referred to Psalm 37 multiple times in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a good reminder for all of us to hear that when people question the validity of the Old Testament and the value of the Old Testament, how oftentimes Jesus quoted from the Old Testament, and here we see a passage of Scripture that he he quoted. Those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. goes down to, to verse 11. It says the meek will inherit the land. Jesus was meek. That's what we'll be talking about if you come back tonight for this study, Gentle and Lowly, Matthew 11, 29. Jesus' invitation for us to enter into relationship and find rest from him because he is gentle and lowly. He is meek. Does meekness lead to defeat? Think about it. Jesus is meek and he now presides over all of creation. His meekness afforded us eternal life if we will turn to him. So the meekness that David is talking about is a type of humility that doesn't guess, doesn't second-guess God, doesn't second-guess his his character, his methods, or his timing. So if we want to walk the path of delight, we have to commit ourselves to the Lord and trust in the Lord, focus, wait patiently, because our inheritance won't happen in this life. It won't. Our inheritance is stored up for us in heaven. And that's why Jesus said, store up treasures for yourself in heaven, not here on earth. The wicked borrow 
and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. The path of delight involves generosity. It's giving. I love the fact that our offering envelopes have Proverbs 21, 25 printed on them that say the godly love to give. And I hope that's your experience, that every time you use one of your offering envelopes, you read that and say, God, thank you for the privilege of giving. I I love to give so that I feel as if I'm making a difference in the kingdom of God. The righteous don't see their money as their own. They delight in the Lord, not in things. You think about David leading the offering in which they were collecting money for the building of the temple. And he called out to all of his people and he said, praying to God in front of them, God, we are only giving back to you what is already yours. None of it belongs to us. The rich man and Lazarus, the parable that Jesus told, helps us to realize this very truth. The man who collected it all in life, And I'm not even sure, as you read the parable, he was a mean individual. He was just self-absorbed, and it was all about himself, and he never reached out to other people. And when this life was over, there was a complete shift in the reality of the rich man and Lazarus. Here's a powerful statement to think about from Timothy Keller. As we think about David saying, the pathway to delight is to be generous, to love to give not grudgingly. Here's what Keller says. If Jesus had been as grudging with his life and blood as I am with my money, then where would I be? Mm. Salvation wouldn't exist for anyone if Jesus had begrudged his life and blood. One day, it says in verse 6, it's talking about looking forward. He will make your Make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. Some of you love to give up, get up early and watch the sunrise. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, being over at my father-in-law's house and just getting up in their sunroom is just beautiful to be reading Scripture and the sun coming up. You know what happens when the sun comes up? The sun comes up and it just keeps getting brighter and brighter and brighter. And that's what he's talking about, the rewards that will be left for us. It's as if you can't see it until all of a sudden you begin to see it and it becomes brighter and brighter and brighter and that will be the reward for the righteous after this life. And for those who are wondering about, well, what about all the people that chose to go a different way and didn't follow after God? Your vindication will be like the noonday sun. Now, if you're out walking in the noonday sun, you know what this is all about. It is something that is absolutely unstoppable. It's overpowering. And that will be the vindication for those who don't follow after God. So how about our point of refreshment today? When we delight in the Lord, He delights in us. I love the way that this is presented in the New Living Translation of Psalm 37, 23 through 24. Listen to it. The steps of the godly are directed by the Lord. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will not fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. When we delight in the Lord, He delights in us. And sometimes in our pride, we expect God to delight in us regardless of what we do. But David is reminding us, the delight of God is reciprocated 
in our delight with him. Why do we look at our relationship with God so differently than other relationships? In which when we don't delight in, a, in somebody in our relationship, and we, would we expect them to delight in us? No. If we create things that cause dis-dislike in our relationships, then something happens. The relationship is breached. But when we delight in one another, whether it's in a working relationship or a friendship or a marital relationship or family relationship, when we delight in the other person, we find that the delight is reciprocated. Steps of the godly are directed by the Lord. He delights in every detail of your lives. Right now, whatever you're experiencing, whatever you're thinking about, whatever you wonder about, God delights in every detail of your lives if you were delighting in him. And though they stumble, they will not fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. We've all seen pictures of this. We've all experienced this. You're walking with a kid, and you're holding him by the hand, and all of a sudden they stumble. What happens? They don't fall because you have them by the hand. It's a picture of God. We're going to stumble in life. David stumbled. He knew what it was like to stumble, but he knew what it was to be held by God's hand. When you stumble, you don't fall because he grabs you, and he lifts you back up. What a beautiful picture we have. Louis XIV ascended to the throne of France at the age of four. Can you imagine having a king that was four years of age? And he reigned for 72 years. That's two years longer than Queen Elizabeth. He was filled with hubris, as you can only imagine being a king for that long. Felt he was so powerful that he called himself the great monarch. He even declared, I am the state. Sounds like a politician to me. In 1715, death dethroned him. But Lewis thought he would have the last word by orchestrating his funeral in every detail. The cathedral was packed as people prepared to pay tribute to their king who was lying in a solid gold casket. By the coffin was a solitary candle that burned to represent the majesty of his greatness. Bishop Massillon presided over the service, and he began with a gesture that stunned the nation. He leaned over the candle and extinguished it. That lone symbol representing the king's greatness went dark, and the people gasped. And then he made this statement, only God is great. That's what David is saying in Psalm 37. It's a beautiful expression of the same sentiment. Only God is great. So my question for each of us is, do you know him? Do you know this great God that loves you and has created you to have a relationship with him? He delights in you and wants you to delight in him. But because of our sin, we can't do that on our own. But that's why Jesus came. Thankfully, Jesus can make us right with God. He can cause this reaction in which God delights in us and we delight in him. All we have to do is to humbly repent of our sins and completely surrender our life to Christ. If you've never done that in your life, that is the pathway, the doorway to delighting in the Lord. For all the rest of us that are followers of Christ, I pray that you'll take heed to the words of David, and that we would commit and focus and trust, that we would hope and be generous and give in our relationship with him. So let's pray together. 
God, we thank you for the power of these words that remind us that when we delight in you, you delight in us. What a beautiful picture of a relationship with you. Lord, why would we want to have a relationship and, and call you God if we didn't take delight in you? If we find that we are not completely delighting in you, help us to change course. Help us to heed the words of David, reflecting back over a lifetime of having a heart after you. May we heed his words and practice them in our lives so that we can move down the pathway of delight to greater delight in you. We recognize that in this gathering, both in this room and online, there may be somebody that has, has never really taken delight in you ever. They're walking at a distance from you, and I pray that they would recognize their desperate need for you. They would realize the urgency that what they need most in their life is a relationship with you. And they would voice a prayer similar to this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, as Christians, sometimes we skim over those words and we're reminded that we committed and we're trusting and we're waiting, but have we truly surrendered all that we have, all that we think we own? And that may indeed be the one barrier that's keeping us from having full delight in you, that complete satisfaction. So help us all to be fully surrendered to you with all that we have and all that we are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love y'all. Thanks for listening. And if you feel like you need to make a decision based upon this experience of worship, God speaking into your life, know that we'll have a deacon with his wife standing at each one of these aisles. And guys, you can go ahead and make your way there. And we have a lot of deacons uh, that have been on vacation and the like. So just make sure someone, deacon and wife, are at the end of each one of these aisles. And I'll be standing over at the cross. If you want someone to pray with you, that's why they're there. If you want to have longer conversations, as Jeff alluded to, you can fill out this communication card, drop it off at the um, Connection Center right outside in the atrium, and we'll, uh, we'll make a, a time appointment at which we can talk with you. How about right now, let's all just pray and say, God, am I truly delighting in you the way that delights you? And make that your prayer. Let's stand together as we worship and as we pray and respond. Goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I've surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me.
God bless you. Have a great week. See you back tonight.